Before reading from Daniel chapter 5, which is where we're going to go today, I just wanted to give you a little bit of background because this is, this is one of those passages that uh, you need to know a few things about the key players because it isn't actually mentioned in Scripture. So if we don't get it from Scripture, where do we get it from? Extra-biblical books, uh, people that wrote back then, historians. And uh, it just helps us to fill in the gaps a little bit. I'm not making doctrine out of what's said outside of Scripture. I'm just trying to point you to what's happening, if you will. So after King Nebuchadnezzar died, remember we called him King Nebo. Thank you, and I will continue doing so today. About seven years passed before Nebuchadnezzar ascended the throne. I know, where in the world? And that might sound different every time I say it. I'm not promising anything. Interestingly, Nebuchadnezzar's name is not found in the Bible, most likely because he was not crucial to the story. But Nebuchadnezzar had a son, and his name was Belshazzar. Aha, say Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Doesn't that sound like Kazam, Belshazzar? <laughs> Who was very important to the stories? Look at your neighbor and say, he's very important. And there is a lot we can learn from this guy. So many believed that Belshazzar's mother was King Nebo's daughter, making the connection to the former king. There had to be some kind of lineage there for him to get there. And I didn't mention this, but Nabonidus was not related to King Nebo. He just sort of took over. So this kind of brings his son into the, the actual lineage of King Nebo. The cuneiform documents, oh, there you go. That's one of the extra-biblical things that we use. They attest to Belshazzar's rule. He was a corrigent, and a corrigent was someone who ruled under another. Does that make sense? So King Nabonidus was actually the king. But King Nabonidus decided he was going to take a hiatus from Babylon or Babylonia, and he went about 50 miles away where he stayed for about 10 years. What kind of king does that? But he left his son in charge. And that's what a corrigent is. So King Belshazzar ruled the palace from Babylon. Until recently, Belshazzar was considered a myth. Huh. Because the only place he was mentioned was in Daniel. However, everybody say however. however. As recent archaeological discoveries have proven... He was not a myth. He was real. And what I say to that is this. <laughs> the Bible was right again. You always end up with egg on your face. By the way, this is why reading from our newer commentaries, it does help on occasion because sometimes they don't have all the information. You know, if you look at somebody that, and these were great scholars, don't get me wrong, and I'm not telling you not to read older stuff. I'm just saying, a lot of the, the new archaeological discoveries were not available 50 years ago. And we've discovered a lot just recently. One crucial detail that's not mentioned in the text, and this is really important, 
the Persian army was stationed just outside of Babylonia while this was being written. Now that's pretty big stuff. So King Nabonidus had just been defeated a few days prior. And now his son is sitting in the capital city, in this city called Babylonia, thinking that he's safe. Yeah. And here's the Persian army ready to lay siege to that city. Why wasn't Belshazzar worried? You know, we can find ourselves in places where we think that we're protected. We think that our walls are high enough the enemy can't get in. But when you turn your back on God, <laughs> there are things he can do to ensure that your foundation is leveled. We need to be careful and we need to make sure that when our fortress is fortified, when our walls are put up, that they're godly walls, not man-made. And this king's going to find out the difference. It appears Belshazzar was not worried, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1 and 2. So here's Daniel 5. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, and here's, here's where it really turns, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was smart enough not to put them out on the shelf. He was smart enough to put them in the treasury, keep them safe, just don't use them. But his grandson was not so smart. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. Now, again, here's the kicker. The Persian army's right outside his walls. How in the world can this king think that it's a great time to start throwing a big party? First of all, and these are hypotheses, Babylon was thought to be impregnable, meaning that no one could get in. Now, it is said, and, and when you read this, this was uh, written by Herodotus, the uh, Greek historian, he said that this wall was 56 miles long, 80 feet thick. Are you with me? 320 feet high. I'm telling you what, it kind of makes sense why he thinks the Persian army who's outside those walls, they're not a threat. And he decides he's going to throw a big party for this. Now, they had enough food, it said, to last uh, several years, at least a couple, maybe three or four. They also had the Euphrates River flowing through the city, which provided what? Water. water. So they had everything. They had protection, they had food, they had water. What better way to be confident in yourself? Somebody's talking to me. 
Hey, I'm not worried. Why should you worry? That army can't get in here. I'm going to throw a party just to show you. That's what the king was thinking. Another theory is that Belshazzar had heard that his father had been uh, killed a few days earlier. And so what did that mean for him? He's now king. So he may have been throwing a party for his own coronation, if you will. That's a possibility. And that would make a lot of sense as to why he would invite a thousand of his key leaders. Let's continue reading in verse 3. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple. Everybody go, "Uh uh-oh. From the house of God in Jerusalem. Now say double uh uh-oh. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. <laughs> verse 4, while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So it was bad enough, if it wasn't bad enough, that they were drinking from the temple cups. Now what are they doing? They're using those very cups for sacrilegious reasons. Last week I read from the scripture where Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who would kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. How many know this is a real indictment? Jesus is trying to make it clear. Don't mess with God. He can be be merciful, yes, but he's also able to be a judge. I want to suggest that the king, his grandson, the grandson to King Nebo, he should have known better. He he should have respected these golden vessels. He had to have heard the story. In fact, that's going to be bore out here in just a minute. But he had a brain lapse. Do you ever have a brain lapse? You know, it's, it's one thing to have a brain lapse when it doesn't mean a whole lot, you know, when it's not affecting your walk with the Lord. But when you have a brain lapse, and it affects not only you, but your family and your kingdom, and etc., it's not a good time to lose your brain. He had a brain lapse. He decided, yep, it'd be good to pull those cups out of the treasury bring them out here start drinking wine in them with my buddies in a modern context let me just say this that whenever a person takes something sacred and desecrates it meaning that you use it for unholy purposes something that was made for holy purposes and you use it for unholy You're setting yourself up just like King Belshazzar. I'm going to revisit this thought in just a minute. Verse 5, suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. Now, I, I need to point out that this isn't a vision. We know that because others saw it, right? The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, 
and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. Finally, (laughs) finally, King Belshazzar begins to express the fear of the Lord. The problem is it's a little too late. Remember what I shared last week? The plumb line of God, as Amos 7, 8 says. What do you see? I see a plumb line. And the Lord said, I will test my people with this plumb line. I will no longer ignore all their sins. The king had been found lacking. I want to continue reading. Verse 7. The king shouted for the enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers, to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes. And I will have a gold chain placed around their neck. He will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now now think about this. The first highest ruler was Nabonidus, and then this guy, Belshazzar, and now It'll be whoever tells about the dream. Quick, tell me what this sign means, he said. But none of them could or would. (laughs) Who wants to bring the king bad news? Not me. Then the queen mother, most likely the wife of King Nebo, remembered an advisor that the king used to call upon. What was his name? Daniel. The queen spoke of how Daniel had heard from the gods how he was wise regarding the mystical signs like they were seeing here today. So King Belshazzar had Daniel summoned. This is sad for so many reasons. First of all, who else had heard from God in this kingdom? Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? I don't know where the three boys are at this point. They don't seem to be on the radar. But Daniel is summoned. Most likely, when King Nebo resigned, when King Nebo died, Daniel was probably about 60 years old. And they suggest that he's now about 80 Everybody look at me and say, 80 is old. Unless you're 80. My mom is 92 years old, and and I don't know if she'll hear this, but I'll I'll talk to her about some of my friends and how old we're getting, and she'll look at me and she'll go, oh, you guys are just kids. (laughs) Makes me feel a little better, not much. But somebody said it. When you look at the Old Testament, when you understand that age is not a factor that determines whether or not God will use you. You might be nearing 80. You might be nearing 90. If you're listening to this online, it doesn't matter. God uses old people. Or older people. Amen. Amen. Age has no factor when it comes to the Lord. You may think you're retired, 
But Christians don't truly retire. God continues using them as he sees fit until that day that we're all standing in paradise with him. And I love that. That, that gives me some hope at this age. I just got my Medicare card in the mail. <laughs> just saying. So Daniel was brought before King Belshazzar. And the king goes through the whole spiel. And then he offers Daniel those riches that we talked about, or he talked about. Even the number three spot in government. But what did Daniel tell him? He said, I don't want your gifts. I don't want that position. He's 80. The guy's already wealthy. The, his, his, King Nebo gave him everything. He didn't need any money. And I, I wonder, a little piece of my, my theory or thinking is, he knows there's something going on outside the walls. He knows that God's going to move here in judgment. And he probably figures, you know what? I'm not going to get a chance to spend that anyway because we're going to have a new guy running the kingdom, right? That's just my own thinking. So Daniel explained to the king how God had moved on King Nebuchadnezzar's life when he reigned. And then he shared the stories that King Nebuchadnezzar shared in chapter 4 that we read last week. How his grandfather had learned from what God did especially after he was out eating for seven years in the field. Let's look at the next verse. He said this to him. You are his successor, O Belshazzar. And you knew all this. Say all this. He knew it. Yet, you have not humbled yourself. Uh-oh. Here's the indictment. For you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven, and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines, you've been drinking wine from them while praising the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and even controls your destiny. Ouch. Let me point this out if you haven't already figured it out. Pride is a deadly sin. It often kills. And I say this especially from the standpoint of how we will sit there and wallow in our sins week after week after week thinking, oh, God's not going to judge me. What is that? It's pride. You think you're in control when you're not. Only God is in control. And this is why it's so important that we humble ourselves. I said it last week, every knee will bow. Every knee's going to bend. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only choice we have is whether we're going to do it on this side of the cross or the other. You're going to do it while you're still living, or you're going to do it after you're dead, and you're going to end up paying the ultimate price. And I need a drink. 
Daniel goes on to describe what's next. This is the judgment part. So God has sent his hand to write this message. If it wasn't clear enough, here you go. This is the message that was written. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is what these words mean. Mene means numbered. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear this. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Again, I go back to Amos 7, 8. Parsons means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. After Daniel explained this indictment from God, the king then rewarded him with the purple robe and the riches. Then the vision came to pass. This is sad. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. And Darius the Mede took the kingdom over at the age of 62. God doesn't play around. I said, God doesn't play around. I think too often we fall into that trap, that modern day trap that, well, you know, God judged them back then, but that was then, this is now. How many know that God doesn't change? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he said he hated sin then, he hates sin now. The reason that you need the blood of Jesus applied to your life is so that you can be forgiven of your sins and enter heaven when that day comes. And without it, you have no hope. This man had no hope. He'd been given opportunities. I'm certain God gave him every opportunity just like his grandfather, but he didn't take it. What about Babylon being impregnable? What happened there? How did the Medes and the Persians, how did they get in? Anybody know? The river. Their very source of life, <laughs> so they thought. They were pretty clever, this army. They decided to detour the river. Change it so it didn't go under the city anymore. What did that do? It gave them a highway into the belly of the city. And the army marched in and took over. And as this passage said, the king was killed that night. He died. Wow. What I really want you to see, though, is that Hallelujah. <sighs> Jesus, you are so good. I'm going to go back there. You must be born again. Made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
the king missed the opportunity, though he'd been given chance after chance. Because Daniel said it. He said, look, you, you knew this. You knew not to mess with this stuff, and yet you still treated the holy as unholy. We must be born again in order to enter into heaven. And when you're born again, what does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? The old man is gone. The new life has begun. You're a new person in Christ, right? If you get a do-over like this, what happens if you keep going back to that old sinful lifestyle? Somebody said you'll be judged. I want you to just think about this for a minute. And I, I started to, as I was putting this together, I started to think about the priest, the role of the priest. And Peter says it best, I want to read from there. How many know that when you're born again, you become a priest of God? Not like in the Catholic Church. That's a whole other story. You... Be give, you are given, as born-again Christian, you are given access directly to heaven. And Peter is just saying, he said, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say you must be holy because I'm holy. And that's my emphasis, of course. 1 Peter 2.8, He, Jesus, is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they don't obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. All right, does that make sense? The next verse says this, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into the wonderful light. We have got to guard ourselves. And I believe that it, it takes a regimen of prayer, sometimes even fasting, Bible study, and by that I mean just absorbing God's Word from this delicious book that we call the Bible. The manna of heaven is in here. It feeds you every single day. And it, and it gives us the weapons that we desperately need to fight back. The IVP New Testament commentary says that the word priest holds significant meaning for you and I. The basic meaning in the Bible is a person who serves God and has the right of access to Him that just means that we can go directly to him. You don't need an intermediary to do that. What better? What privilege? What a, what a privilege it is. 
Howard Marshall continued. He said, we are God's special property. <laughs> the Greek phrase behind a people belonging to God conveys the sense that they are a particularly significant and precious possession to him. Do you see yourself as that? Most of us don't. But when God looks at you, when you've been applied the blood of Jesus, you're, you're under his covering, when God looks at you, he sees something precious. And we've got to get that, that vision in our head that that's how God sees you and me. And therefore, the object of his special care. The Lord said, I take care of the birds, I take care of the flowers in the field. Not one falls without me knowing it. I feed them on a regular basis. How much more will I take care of those who are mine, who I love? That's what it means to be a, a child of God. We're his special property. Priests, then, have been separated for God's good purpose. Can you say amen? amen. Yes, God loves us. He adores us. We're his special, and I, I'm going to say it, we're his special property. We always were. We're just acknowledging that fact. God listens for your voice to call out his name. Oh, hallelujah. Sarah, when you're struggling and you say, Dad, Father, I need help. You could whisper it and he would hear you. Because you're his. You're his special person. And that's any one of us. Any one of us that have given our hearts and lives to Jesus. And then he gifts us with everything we need to tell our story. A story that's so important to tell. Before Jesus, I was lost. I was dying and going to hell. After Jesus, I'm born again. I've been washed in the blood, his blood. And my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And when this heart stops beating, if Jesus hasn't come back yet, I'm going to go to be with him forever and ever and ever. That's the promise that I've been given. But hear this. Once we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, it is up to us as we rely on the Holy Spirit. It is up to us to stay true to God's plumb line. It takes work. Some of you ladies and Fred today, you were water baptized and you're saying to the world, I love Jesus. I'm going to be his servant the rest of my life. Amen. And what that means is, and what you're saying to the world is, I'm going to tell my story because he Gave me everything that I need today. Everything that I need today to be a success on this, this planet. Yeah. 
He gave me everything I need to love Him. To know Him. To be His child. Everything. It's already been given to you. But the danger comes when a person treats what God has given us as unholy. The danger comes when we take what God has has purified through the blood of His Son and we begin to drag it back into the old life of sin. King Belshazzar took what was holy, what had been anointed to God, and drank from those cups in a profane manner. It cost him his life. When we do something like this with, how many would agree this is a temple of the Lord? Why is it called the temple? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. If we take this holy temple where God's Holy Spirit lives in us, and we try to drag it back into our old sinful life, what is that doing? Defiling the temple. Taking what God has called holy and treating it as unholy. Why should this bother us? Why should it matter? Because if we're not careful... We're going to fall into that same trap that this king fell into. Where we begin to treat what God has called holy as unholy. And then what's going to happen? Your days are numbered. I talked about that last week. I'm getting to the end of this. Believe it or not. We cannot continually go on sinning and expect our King, our Lord, our loving Father to turn His head forever. Eventually, judgment is going to be demanded. And that person is going to be held accountable. And and out of anybody, God's people should know the truth. And one thing you're going to learn if you come to this church for any length of time is we preach the Word. We preach the truth. I don't candy coat it up here. I could. I could make you feel awesome every time you leave this church. And I hope I am in a way. Because if if you have given your heart and life to Jesus, if He's washed you clean, then you've got nothing to fear. There is no enemy that's going to be able to bring harm to your soul. Your soul is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and you've got nothing to fear. You are going to heaven one day. But if you don't listen to these words, it could cost you. And that's why I'm up here today trying to show somebody, maybe online, maybe here, somebody that the game you're playing is dangerous. And God sent His one and only Son, Jesus, into this world that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. But 
but you've got to believe. Would you stand with me? God's plumb line is, is falling. And I believe, listen, I'm not a date setter. I'm really trying to fight not talking about when he's coming back. I know or I feel in my heart it could be any time, but it could be another hundred years. Who knows? Only God knows that. But my job, my calling as a minister is to prepare people to be ready for what's next. And I, I sense and I feel that the Holy Spirit is just saying, there's somebody here. You're not ready. You've been fighting this. You've had that pride. And you're going, ah, oh, I don't need that. I don't need Jesus. You know, my life's not bad. <laughs> it might not be now, but it will be. It will demand, be demanded of you. Your life will be demanded of you unless you repent and stop treating what's holy as unholy. Maybe this is a Christian, you, or you call yourself Christian. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I gave my heart and life to Jesus years ago, but I've really treated this temple with disdain, with, with unholiness. I've done things that I shouldn't have done. You need to repent. That means to turn around. That means to come back to Jesus. And I heard tell that there's a story going to be told next Sunday that talks about somebody coming back to their father. You need to come back to your Father, your, your heavenly Father. He loves you. He's given you everything to be saved. But you have to take advantage of it. Put that pride down and, and just say, God, forgive me. I don't know what I'm thinking. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to play this game anymore. I want to be ready for what's next. And that leads me to my last slide. It just says this. Are you ready to meet the king? If you're ready to meet the king, if your heart were to stop beating right now, right this very minute, you know you would be with the Lord. Would you raise your hand? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The hand's going up. Not everybody raised their hand. And, and listen, I, <laughs> I want you to be ready. According to the scriptures, according to what I believe, what we believe, God demands of us. Yes, he's provided a way out of sin, but we have to take advantage of it. And I believe that that comes from confessing our sins to the Lord. And, and the Apostle Paul said this in Romans 10. And I'll read it right from the book. When I get there. Beginning with verse 8. What, is, what does it say? The word is near you. 
It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we're proclaiming. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And the scripture says this in verse 11, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For everyone, verse 13, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul believed that with all his heart. I believe that with all my heart. If you're here today and and you would like to pray that prayer and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, if you would like to repent, or if you've been in a backslidden state, yes, one day you gave your heart to Jesus, but you have been running from God, you have been treating your life as unholy, and you know, you know that you need to do something about it today. Lift your hand up so I can see it. Thank you. Hallelujah. You can put them down. Thank you. Hands went up all over the room. I just read the scripture that said we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he died for our sins. I want to do that. And I believe that if you'll pray this prayer with us, because we'll do it as a family, if you pray this prayer as though Jesus were right in front of you, it will, it will change your life forever. And when that day comes, and you don't know when it's going to be, when that day comes and God says, come on, you're not going to have to worry because you're ready. So many of you ladies are ready because you have made Jesus number one in your life. But I'm speaking to the rest (laughs) that haven't done this. You got to make some changes. Aaron said it during the offering. You got to make a plan. Don't just walk out of here going, I'm going to be better. You got to get on your face before God and you got to start praying, Lord, give me the plan to fight this sin in my life. You've already provided the way out. I take hold of that right now. Devil, get behind me. Greater is he that is in me than he that lives in this world. You got to believe that in your heart. You got to start crying out to God and saying, I need your help. Because God wants you to be holy just like he's holy. (laughs) That's good stuff. Let's pray. Father, say this with me. Father, thank you for that precious gift found in Jesus. I believe he went to the cross for me. He shed every ounce of blood for me. He was beaten. He was betrayed for me. So that I could have life life. and life in abundance. abundance. So today, today, I confess with my mouth mouth that Jesus is Lord. Lord. And I believe in my heart that he paid the price for my sins. And I receive forgiveness. forgiveness. 
Forgive me, Lord, for breaking your commands. Now help me to live for you all the days that I have left. I pray this in the strong name, in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo. I think it would be fitting if we could get our team up here, if they're still in here. Unless we're missing some people. Let's sing that song again. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Is that okay? Listen, if, if you're in a hurry, if you've got to go, I understand it's afternoon. If your pot roast is going to burn or whatever, you, whatever. Let's honor the Lord. And, and by the way, if you raise your hand and you would like a little booklet, there's a book called The Start of Something Wonderful. You'll, you can get it on your way out. It'll be right over here. Somebody will have one, a copy ready. That little booklet will give you 26 different lessons, scriptural lessons that you can use as you begin this new journey of yours. And maybe you already have one. If you want to take one and give it to a friend, do it. We want these books to be available, and they're free. I believe that the angels in heaven are rejoicing because of the decisions made here today. In this song, as we sang it earlier, I just sat there going, wow, this is what we're doing. This is today. So let's sing this song, and then I'll be back and I'll close.
Lord a hand this morning. Hallelujah. Again, Father, we are so grateful for the names that were added to your kingdom roster today. And Lord, now we, we pray as we go out of here that we'll continue to be holy as you are holy. That the words of this message, Lord, that they will resonate in our soul. Challenge us, Lord. To, to keep this that you've called holy, you've set us aside for you. We are your priests, a holy nation. And Lord, help us to live like that. Help us to get rid of the idols that are in our lives, in our homes, Lord. Things that might cause us to sin, to, to get rid of them in the name of Jesus. 
so that we might serve you with a pure heart without having to worry about whether or not we're breaking your commands because we're going to know we're not. Lord, put somebody in our path that we can tell our story to. How you have worked in us, how you've changed us from the inside out. We love you and we commit the people, Lord, of the hope. Those here, those online, Lord, bless them richly, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus.